Welcome back to another episode of the Grace Church Members Podcast. My name is Chris Rivers, and I'm really glad that you're here with us today. We have in the room Scott Mazingo, Schofield Foster, our downtown campus pastor, and Haley Baranowski, a key volunteer leader at our downtown campus. Welcome all. Hey, Chris. Good, Good to, to see here, you. Chris. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Glad what to be is... here. Great. So today we're going to introduce the topic of being self-made and the threat it poses to our spiritual health. Schofield, why don't you just kick us off? What is self-made? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, so the tagline we had for this study is, what does it mean to be a creature in a self-created world? So we live in a world now that has really just embraced the idea that it's up to us. It's on us. It's on you. And there's lots of, what, freedom in that, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and autonomy and independence. But what if it's not? What if it's actually uh, slavery to having to be the God of your own world? Mm. And so self-made really is anything that represents us having the pressure on ourselves to sustain and create our identity, our future life, right? It's, it's really something that's now on our shoulders, mm. which starts off like an invitation and then ends up feeling a lot like a curse. And so, you know, there's so many different applications all over the place, but I think really it's about what does it mean to be a creature living in a self-created world? Okay. So you said study. So give us a little bit of background yeah, on no, thanks for your engagement in this topic. Yeah. So the origin for me on all this is uh, about a year and a half ago, I started thinking, you know, what, what are some of the distinctives of what it means to be a Christian today? And I think that's important for the church. Mm-hmm. That as the church, that should be, we should have thoughts on that. Not, you know, comprehensive or perfect ones, but And so as I started asking questions, what would be key conversations that we would be having with new members at our church or that our current members need to articulate around? And so over a period of months, as I was thinking about that, um, Haley and uh, Blake and I had been teaching some studies downtown, and uh, we come across this book called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And he also wrote an abbreviated version for any normal people (laughs) that aren't wanting to nerd out on a really dense book, but some of you need to nerd out on it, called uh, A Strange New World. That's the abbreviated version of The Rise and the Triumph of Modern Self. And we started reading that over a handful of months, and we thought, I thought at least, this is it. These are some of the issues around identity, sexuality, you know, performance, performance mentality in a culture that's so oriented around how we perform ourselves out in public that um, really is the counter to, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? to be a creature for God to be the center instead of ourselves. And so over a handful of months, we started writing and thinking and putting together a study for the members of our downtown campus. And so this past summer, that's what we did. Okay. We, we did six sessions on it, and it was a really timely word. It mm-hmm. created a lot of resonance. We had a lot of good discussion. So, Haley, how did you get involved in this group with Blake and Schofield? That's a unique co- couple guys right there. It's been we, we, fun. Didn't, we really didn't give her a choice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I've been going to downtown for seven years, which is the extent of my time in Greenville. So I feel like I've really kind of grown up as an adult downtown, mm-hmm. which has been fun. But since, since I remember, as long as I can remember, I've loved to write. And so even when I was younger, that was an outlet that I loved. I'm a big journaler. So interacting with the Lord through words was something that was comfortable to me mm-hmm. and I think helped me learn and then kind of reflect back what I had been learning. So mm-hmm. over the, my time at downtown, I've... I've written for Grace in a variety of ways and loved that and hopefully it's been helpful. 
And then as I've served in different areas, that's lended itself to an opportunity to teach. So, Because you've worked with our high school students quite a bit. Yes. I served in Forge and Infusion okay. over my time downtown. And um, last summer we did a study in the book of Ephesians, and that was my first exposure to teaching anything mm-hmm. in a smaller study setting. And so it was so fun. We had a mm-hmm. great time. And what do you do when you're not volunteering relentless hours at our downtown mm-hmm. campus Not that many. <laughs> with her spare time you mean <laughs> yeah that's right her um, job i work for brio primary care so i'm the manager of operations there okay. not medical at all but landed in healthcare. um i love it it's a wonderful company mm-hmm. um i love business i do see business as a form of ministry which has mm-hmm. been such a privilege to be at a company that feels the same way so i've loved having that as my day job no that's this awesome. is my side job yeah and a future podcast episode on how business is ministry so we're, we're working we're working on that sign me well, up tell us how what's what's your connection to this then study yeah um so Schofield introduced us to this book last fall so fall of 2022 we started reading together the rise and triumph of the modern self and I told them I probably would not have finished it had we not been reading it together it is a dense book but yeah. it was so good and it mm-hmm. really it changed my perspective on a lot of things. I'd say, first of all, it did. It gave me some compassion for people that I that I may not have felt compassionate towards mm. without reading the book. I think people who disagree with me on things that feel very fundamental, I think I, I othered them in a lot of ways. And the way that this book laid out just a cultural and historical progression of our thinking helped me understand how we have arrived at really a lot of different conclusions in a way that I think will make me better and more articulate and, and probably more respectful in conversations down the road. So I can't speak highly enough of the book. It was mm-hmm. it was great for me. But in terms of emotional connection to the study too, as we were kind of developing it through the spring, I was excited already. And I, I think we could tell that it was going to be relevant and hopefully would resonate with people downtown. Um, but one of the things that I I've just grown, I think, in understanding with my even my own relationship with the Lord over the past couple of years. It's just kind of having an image to hold on to, yeah. uh, whether I'm learning things personally or trying to communicate things to a larger audience. And so as we were preparing, particularly for the first session, I was really praying for an image. We landed on a couple last summer as we were working through Ephesians that were really helpful that I, I knew connected with me, but I didn't expect people to communicate back to us, and they did. So I think that that kind of solidified in my mind the importance of having that as a part of your communication because I'm I can tend to be a little logical and academic mm-hmm. sometimes. So it's helpful to remember that things land with people and, and they resonate different ways. So I was praying for an image as we were preparing and as I was thinking and and working on particularly talk one, I really feel like I'm gonna have to credit the Holy Spirit because there was no other reason this would have come to my mind. But as I was thinking about the idea of being self-made and how convincing it sounds, it was becoming more and more important to me as we prepared to share that we communicated well that this is not a very clear dichotomy. This is not black and white where you see the things that are of Jesus and you see the things that are anti-Jesus and it's very clear to you. It's going to feel blurry. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel intertwined because being self-made feels really good mm-hmm. and it sounds really good. And so as I was thinking through that and some verses that Schofield had given us to think through. I just, I thought of the myth of the sirens. I took Latin and Greek growing up, so I have more myths in my mind probably than I should. <laughs> but as you know, I go to Google and I'm starting to refresh my memory on, on the image of the sirens. And that myth, the sirens were these mythic figures who were 
very appealing, very seductive, very attractive. And they lived on an island, and as sailors would sail by, the sirens would sing a song, and the song was irresistible. So sailors, if they heard it, they would steer their ships in the direction of the song. They would crash on the island. The sirens would ultimately sing them to death. They mm. would never escape. Wow. It was irresistible, and that that was the thing that kept me coming back to the idea of self-made. But as I was reading, and again, you have to credit the way the Holy Spirit uses the Internet, but I was looking through just different mythological figures, interactions with the sirens, and there were two stories that stuck out in what I was reading of the characters that survived sailing by the sirens. Mm. And one of them was Odysseus, one of them was Orpheus. And as Odysseus, as the story goes, as he's on his grand journey in Homer's Odyssey, he is coming up on the sirens and it seems to be that he was competitive and he was determined to beat them. And so he told his crew, he's like, okay, as we approach them, I, I want y'all to stuff your ears with beeswax. Cause if you hear this song, we're mm. going. Mm-hmm. So he had them do that, but he wanted to be competitive. He wanted to hear yeah. the song and still win. And so he told his crew to leave his ears unplugged so that he could hear the song, but to tie him to the mast of the ship And as they approached the song, he said, even if I beg you, as we're getting closer to this island, if I hear that song and I beg you to let me go, to steer the ship that way, I want you to tie me tighter. Mm -hmm. So we had Odysseus, and then as I'm skimming later down the article, Orpheus was this other mythological figure who was on a ship with a group of people called the Argonauts. And as they were sailing, um, Orpheus was a divine poet. And so as they approached the song, the Argonauts, you know, of course, I'm sure they're nervous. They're they're preparing to die because no one can resist the sirens. But because they had Orpheus on board, it goes that they heard the song of the sirens and Orpheus played on his instrument a song that was louder and more beautiful than the song of the sirens. Mm. And as I was reading that night, truly, I felt like the Lord put in my mind, tie yourself to the mast and sing a better song. Mm. And that immediately, I mean, I was crying <laughs> in my apartment, just getting ready for the summer and praying that the Lord would make those things true for us. That as we hear the song of self-made that is truly intended to sing us to death, that we would take those two strategies, you know, as fictional or whatever they may be, that the image resonates and it works. Because the only way that I think we're going to survive this is that we tie ourselves to something like a mask that is stronger and more true and more real than we are, and that our lives sing a better song. Because the song of self-made is a good one. I mean, it, it makes you want to follow it. and mm-hmm. it, it makes you want to go that direction because it feels good. It satisfies desires of our hearts. I mean, mm-hmm. we want to be self-created. We want to exercise our autonomy. But if our lives don't sing a better song to a culture and a church that might want to go that direction, then I don't right. think we have a chance of surviving it. So that will stick with me for a long time. Yeah, and that right. kind of proved to be our image for the summer. And mm-hmm. we explored that in a lot of different ways as we went through our six weeks. Mm-hmm. So tie yourself to the mast and sing a better song. Mm-hmm. So as we think about the dangers but then we think about the deception. Okay, let's begin to pull that apart. What does self-made look like? Mm-hmm. And what are, what are these, let's talk about these songs. Let's talk about the songs that are really like lullabies. They're so right. beautiful and they just smooth mm-hmm. you. Well, and the, the biblical sourcing for that that I think of is <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, where it talks about this need we have for the church to be built up by the leaders of the church so the church can do the work of Christ. And it says then as that happens, as each part of the body is doing the parts that it's called to do, will no longer be tossed back and forth by every wind and wave of new teaching and lies that are so clever that they sound like the truth. Mm. So you have these lies that are so clever that they're not obviously lies. They're actually partial truths, half truths, 
that lure us away from God and to trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the contrast is the church should be instead speaking the truth in love and being built up in every way more and more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to mention that passage because I think it's the same image of these lies that are so clever that they're, they sound like truth. Mm-hmm. When I think about the, um, the different ways that that looks, I think about a conversation that I had with a dad. This was probably four years ago who called me because his, his daughter, he'd found out on her device had a, secret app that he didn't know was there. She was using it for communication okay. with her friends. And he found on there that she was expressing questions about her sexuality, mm. questions about her gender. And he had heard me talk on a couple of topics like that. And so he called me and he was in a panic. And understandably so as a dad, it's scary. And you're, you're, you love your daughter, you're scared. And I'll never forget him saying, you know, I just have no idea how mm. to relate with her on this issue. And I think God gave me the grace just to pause him right there and say, hey, actually, I, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I said, because what you're watching her do is struggle to believe that God is God and that God is good. And so she's choosing to make herself. She's choosing to go her own way and find identity, find satisfaction. And by the way, that's exactly what you struggle with yeah. every day. Sure, you might not pick gender or sexuality. You might pick your career or your own form of sexual you know, struggles could yeah. apply to this. But that's the thing we try to make clear with our members downtown is this is not about us trying to understand some brokenness out there. Mm-hmm. We all are infected with this core temptation to rely on ourselves, to trust ourselves, to define ourselves, to determine our own worth. And that's really what it means to be self-made. And so one of the things we're trying to do is get in tune with that reality, not so that we can point out somewhere else and judge somebody whose expression looks different than ours, but resonate with that and say, no, actually, I got to believe that God is God, God is good, and it's actually good news that I don't have to be. Hmm. I don't have to be. I can receive the reality of my creatureliness and trust Him instead. So one of the things that the book introduces this topic with that we read, this, this rise and triumph of modern self, is that it starts with the reality that now in our society, in today's world, when someone hears the phrase, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, we all know what we're talking about. That's not something that's unfamiliar. And intuitively, we know that in front of someone else, that's something that we should look to be sensitive to and affirm and even celebrate. So part of what the book's trying to help us understand is how did we get to a place in our thinking as a culture where that's the intuitive response? And that's the concept that the book calls the social imaginary. These are not things that we're all you know, arguing over, but they're intuitions that come from values in our culture that we've all adopted. And they're actually informing the way that we think and feel. Mm-hmm. And the thing I would say is this is that the church has not been immune to this. The core inside pieces that contribute to some of these responses are actually the same. Yeah, and, talk a little bit more about that. Where, where do you see those and how do you see those fleshing out? Yeah, so I think one of the topics that we talk about in the series is um, <laughs> this idea of main character syndrome. Okay. So it's, it's a term that the culture is, we've created as a culture and it comes from the idea of actually walking down the street. Like think a big urban center, you're wearing your AirPods and your favorite song comes on. Mm. And main character syndrome means that when that song comes on in your ears, all of a sudden the streets around you have been transformed into a movie set and this is your scene in the movie about you. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I'm walking the street, right? And this, and now what does everybody around me become? Everybody around me is the supporting, supporting cast. cast. Right. Right. And so the idea is that really, what if we actually are kind of living our whole lives that way? 
whether it's social media, whether it's what we are expecting out of work, whether it's what we're expecting out of our marriages, out of our kids. What if we're viewing life as a, a place where we're supposed to perform ourselves out in public so that we can get affirmation and attention? Mm. And you go, uh, yeah, that, that sounds possible. That might be me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so then it would reason that when we come to the scriptures, you don't turn that off. Right. You just take the scriptures and you apply it through those same lenses. Yeah, right. So and then you begin to read the scriptures thinking that God is talking just to me. Yeah. And he wants my best life now. I mean, I, I recognize that there's some areas of my life that are broken and messed up, but, but if I could just have a better version of Scott, better version of Haley, of Chris, of Schofield, if I could just, if God could help me have a better version of myself, right. then we'd be better off. And that must mm. be what God's trying that to do. That must be what God's that trying to do. That must be the point of all this. And instead of saying, actually, the point of all this is that there is a God and I'm not him and he's amazing. And he's inviting me to be caught up in not my story, but his story. Mm. And I do have a meaningful role to play. There's significance, right? There's dignity. There's value. Those are not bad things. But when we try to get those out of making ourselves the center, think about the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. If we live in a main character culture, you know what else we live in? We live in an incredibly anxious culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when life is a big performance and I'm supposed to, you know, do tricks (laughs) with how good I am or, you know, how I look here and there, well, that's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. to sustain your own significance. What if your significance isn't dependent on your performance? Mm -hmm. That'd be actually maybe gospel. Right. And, and we go into the scriptures and we read and we get lost in who God is and what he's doing. There is a story that matters. There's value there. But it is ironic that we would even take the scriptures, mm-hmm. take the church, right. take God, and somehow co-opt those things into being about, mm-hmm. well, me. You know? Well, and this really gets to your point earlier about it's not just black and white, good guys and bad guys, that it's really, really co-mingled. Just keep keep talking. Share what you what you have on your mind right now. Sure. I can see your wheels turning. <laughs> they are turning. Um, I think I got increasingly passionate about the idea as we went further and further throughout the study because I think I grew up with this idea that good and evil and truth and lies were were black and white and they were very easy to distinguish between. And if you were in church and you were faithful to the scriptures and you were in a consistent walk of prayer with the Lord that it would be either or it would be very easy to tell. And as we read and prepared and moved through the study and and as I've encountered other things in my life as well, I just don't think that's always the case. I think Mm -hmm. the lies sound a lot like truth a lot of the time, like Ephesians 4 says. And can we discern by being in scripture and by being in prayer? Yes, absolutely. But I think we have to acknowledge that the lies they work because they sound really good. And if the devil has strategies to make the church fail, then he's not going to make them obvious all the time. He's not going to make them sound like something you don't want. He's going to make them sound like something you do. Mm -hmm. So I felt just more and more burdened for us and for the people who were studying with us that we would realize how dangerous this could be because it's everywhere in our culture. It's, it's in the air that we breathe. It's the water we swim in. It, it is a part of kind of our collective subconscious. Now we're not even asking whether it's true or just assuming that it is. And so the lies, they get really intertwined with things that can sound really godly. Yeah. So something I mean, to be aware I'd of. Love to give an example if I could. Yeah, before you do, because I, um, I want to dig deep into a few different examples, I just want to put a pin on maybe one of the ways, the subtle ways this reaches into the church. 
mm. is that the way I think about it, and I, and I think about it with literally like us in this room and how we're trying to minister and serve, really. That's all that means, right? To minister means to serve. Like, are we doing that out of the grace that God has given us, or are we doing that out of our gifts? Because if we're doing it out of grace, then our identity is secure, and our dependency is on God to be able to do that. But if we're doing it just out of gifts, then what are we dependent on? The affirmation of other people. And then you're no different than the performance mentality. Mm-hmm. In some ways, the main, main character main syndrome. Because I'm only as good as my last sermon mm-hmm. or my last counseling session or my last podcast. And I need yeah. people to tell me how good I'm doing mm-hmm. because I'm trusting in my gifts. Right. Now because I'm creating yeah. myself. Now, I don't know if we want to make this whole podcast about me, Scott, and all my struggles. <laughs> but it does sound familiar. And I, by the way, Scott, I think this happens in the church and in Christianity. And I think the world knows it. Yeah, and I, by the world I mean non-believers, people that are not that are disillusioned with church, disillusioned with God. When we as Christians co-opt God into just another way for us to get attention or to self-actualize or perform, uh, it's not attractive, right? And nor is it something that really different, yeah, than what the world's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it you just know? it's compl- It's it's just a bunch of rules to get to the same point. Mm-hmm. So why would they even bother yeah. with all that? So yeah, tell us, walk us through some cultural examples that'll really bring this into, into light. So one of the ones that I think is interesting, and I see it with young students in our church, but I've seen it. I mean, it's all over the place. It's just what is truth and where does truth come from? So I think about like old school Disney classics like Pocahontas, which is what the main theme could be is you just have to listen to your heart. And it's amazing. And, and there's this truth there that, you know, we have a conscience, we were created with feelings God feels, but what happens when our feelings inside become truth. Like you've heard of the phrase, your truth. Right. How does that interact with the truth? So it's specifically our feelings. So what's the relationship between our truth, or sorry, the truth and our feelings? And one of the things that we learned about in the book is the reality that we have gone through, we're now living in what's called an inward turn, meaning not outward, but inward, where when we're looking for truth, we look inward. Mm. It's based on what we feel, our experiences, Instead of the idea that there's a truth that's true regardless of my feelings, mm-hmm. regardless of my situation, that is actually stronger and more sure that I can count on. And I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think even as Christians, a lot of what we expect the experience of God to be is a lot based on our feelings. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, feelings are good. But what role does the scriptures and God speaking through others and things that are timeless and transcendent that aren't new, that are quite old, about who God is and what he's done, how does that actually need to be determinative for how we're living, where our peace comes from, how we live our lives, what we make our decisions around? And so one of the sessions we actually did with Self Made was this question of the relationship between our truth and, and feelings. So, I mean, what would, Haley, any thoughts you had from, from that particular session? Yes, I thought it was fun because we, we kind of zoned in on John 18, just the section where Jesus and Pilate are interacting. And I just thought it was so interesting that what Pilate asks Jesus is what is truth. And it doesn't seem like he stuck around to hear the answer. Mm. I don't want to malign his character <laughs> centuries later. But he asks what is truth, and that's the end of the conversation. So mm. we took some time, and I think are probably continuing to as we've moved past the study, to ask what is truth, and then even ask further, have we ever asked ourselves what is truth or where does truth come from for mm. us? Because I think there's a great chance that 
we have a truth construct that's developed from probably a lot of different ways and we've never evaluated. Mm. Is it solid? Is it, yeah. does it hold up? Does it hold up when my feelings change? Does it hold up when my circumstances don't match that? And are we even engaged enough in our own walk of faith and our own emotions and thoughts to evaluate whether, whether it can hold water? So we looked at, is truth tradition? Is that what we base, what we think is real on, what we've always heard, what we've seen practiced? Is truth emotion? You know, where does it come from? And have we ever asked? We looked at um, Isaiah 44, which is one of mm-hmm. my favorites right now. But there's this beautiful, just kind of poetic prophecy as Isaiah is writing to the people. And he's talking to them about their idolatry. And it's language, I think, that can feel really outdated when you just read it at first glance, because it talks a lot about wood and fire and farming and things that are probably a little more removed from us. But what he's basically describing as he's trying to call the people back to the Lord is he's saying, you've taken a gift from the Lord. In this case, it's wood. You have used half of your supply of wood to make fire and sustain your life and Mm -hmm. make sure you have food. Then you've taken the other half of your wood and you've built a God and you're Mm -hmm. bowing down to it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that section in verse 20 of Isaiah 44, he says this person that he's talking about using kind of as an image for the people never stops to ask themselves, is the idol I'm holding in my hand a lie? Mm. And so we've used that as kind of mm. a theme for the study this summer and moving forward to is the idol that we're holding in our hand a lie? And have we ever stopped to ask? And do we care what the answer is? Wow. Because there's a chance that the idol of self-made, this song that we're hearing that we might be buying into, it may it may actually be an idol for us and is there a chance it's a lie and have we ever asked? Mm. Mm. We, there's a lot of attention now around just that concept of deconstruction, right? People seem to be really freaked out that everybody's deconstructing their faith. You know, all these kids that grew up in the church and did great things and et cetera, et cetera. But it just strikes me, I was thinking about this and then listening to you when you talk about having a, a construct that wasn't really thoughtfully put together in the first place. Right that may not even be real. Mm-hmm. So then deconstruction might not be a bad thing right. if you have to tear it down to build up the real thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. To, yeah. to sing that better song. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about how, how do we hear? How do we hear that better song? What yeah. are we going to do to help lead our church to, to listen well for that better song? So we've got, we, we've got to know what, we're, um, what the danger is, mm-hmm. you know, what the sirens, what they sound like. But then... You know, how do we sing a better song? Yeah. One of the things we did with each session is we would take things like, so, you know, we just talked about the relationship between truth and feelings or main character syndrome. Other topics were the relationship between love and affirmation. What is love if not affirmation? You know, uh, we talked about sex and the tie that our culture's made between sex and happiness. And what we try to do is every time to say, there is truth here. Some of the messages, like, like we said, these are lies that are so clever. They sound like the truth because there's, there's truth here. Right, mm-hmm. sex is a big deal. God created it, and it is it is made for happiness. There's there's truth there. Feelings are good. Affirmation is a need, but what? How is that actually just a half truth? And what is the God? We called it the God word alternative or the God word solution that meets this need. So I think part of it, Scott, to answer your question is we have to validate that feelings are a real part of what it means to be human, but they're not the only way to find truth, mm. and they can't lead all the time. Go ahead, say that again. So feelings are a real part of being human, but they're not the only way to find truth, and they can't always be determinative for our lives. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think, and that just takes 
repetition and experience. So where is truth outside of me? Mm-hmm. The scriptures, right? God's people speaking into my life, the Holy Spirit working in and through the local church, this aggregate experience of hearing God. And then how is that interacting with my life? And, and so we're building a foundation of learning how to discern truth in our life, and that has to happen in community. And that's rigorous. And built into it is deconstruction. It is bringing into question my assumptions, not letting you know my feelings be trusted all the time. And then I would add this key detail, acting on truth even in spite of our feelings at times. Because when we do that, we're, we're writing a new like pathway into our brain that says, okay, I have to go elsewhere and make decisions based off something else besides just me or just my preferences or just what I want to like. And so when I read something in the Bible that I don't like, well, then what do I do with that? Right. Right. Do I go with what I prefer or what God says? And I think that is a real danger because it's what I call insight. And like we know that, okay, knowledge by itself, it puffs up, makes us proud, not a good thing. Right. So everybody wants to avoid knowledge. But what, what we settle for is insight. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, that's a good word. I need to think about that. That's awesome. I've never heard that before. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to journal that. But no change has taken place. Right. So it's like I'm going to challenge my feelings with that thought, but that's just step one. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is you've got to actually take some action. Right. And it feels like in that action is where God meets us mm-hmm. and begins to bring life change. Yep. And, and, and so you take a step, you take action, and then you evaluate. Right. And then you take another step, and then yep. you evaluate and take another step. And if you do that for a long time then you actually have life change. Yeah. You see wisdom. I was going to say, another word the Bible uses for that is wisdom. Yeah, wisdom. The difference between insight and wisdom. And knowledge might be good, but until it's applied. That's exactly right. Whereas, you know, so knowledge applied over time or insight utilized or, you know, insight applied is what we're going for. And it's worth saying on a podcast because in a podcast culture, insight might feel like the, you know. The end goal. The end goal. That's right. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah, and Chris is so good at every time we end one of these things, he's like, hey, Hopefully what we said was helpful, but you got to do this with other people. And I'm, I'm kind of butchering what you say, and you'll say it here in a little bit. But mm-hmm. I would love to hear, Haley, you talk about compassion. You mentioned that earlier in your yeah. intro. You said that you've become a more compassionate person through this study. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I think, and, and I'll just expand on what I mentioned earlier, I think as we were reading, and again, I can't recommend the book enough, um, it's a beautiful summary of a lot of philosophy and history and art and current events and politics, and it kind of makes the case for we were always headed in this direction. So the idea of self-creation, it might feel shocking to us, and it might feel new, and it might feel like how are we even having these discussions? But if you walk back hundreds of years of history, we were pushing in this direction the whole time. And this is just the logical conclusion of our centuries of thought. So the internet may have sped it up a little bit, but really this is not that shocking. Mm -hmm. And I think understanding that on everything from the way we think about careers to the way we think about communities and our interdependence or lack thereof, the way we think about sex, gender, church, institutions at large, All of that makes a lot of sense when you just follow the history and you follow the logic. And if you take out God or the truth of the Bible, then it's very reasonable. Mm. And I think I had thought that 
people who came to different conclusions than I had on any of those given issues that it didn't make sense to me because I couldn't understand how they got there. And now having read this and studied some of these ideas, I may still disagree because my truth comes from a different place, but I understand how they got there. Even if we collectively as a society can't verbalize how we got here, that's why I think it's a beautiful thing that we have authors and thinkers like this to help guide us there, but it does make sense. It is reasonable when you walk through all the changes and the turns and the thinking and the principles that we valued over time, we were going to end up here at some point. Mm -hmm. So it does make a lot of sense. And is there a conversation around being made in God's image? And so we're, we're trying to find the same things in life. Like we, we, we all long for significance. We long for security. We long for joy. We long for happiness. And, and so like we're, we're all the same because we're all created in God's image to bear God's image. Like I like to talk about generosity. Like we're all created to be generous people. Like nobody disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. But the question is, is why and how do you get there? And so without transcendent truth, without a transcendent creator, Mm -hmm. then what do you have? You you have yourself. Right. Well, and one of the arguments that, that Carl Truman really surfaces is that we, um, you, you take people that are, you know, like Frederick Nietzsche, who talks about the reality that if we kill God, if we live like God's not God, then you got to go all the way. Right. And so his whole point is that a lot of the ways that we've gotten to, to how we're living and thinking in our society is just a natural conclusion of saying, well, God's either God or he's not. And if mm-hmm. he's not, then it's totally up to us. Right. Which you could say, again, is completely freeing or completely terrifying. Mm-hmm. But his point is there's a lot of modern people that are pretending like you can still use a God stamp on life and gut them of really being God altogether. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of the compassion that you're saying, like Haley, is that we all do that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a matter of degree. And honestly, if we would have more intellectual integrity, you know, we'd stop faking some of the in-between kinds. Mm. And a lot of the people, and that's, I would say, a word for people in church, because a lot of times we accessorize our life with a little God, a little church. Exactly. Instead of being like, hey, what? Because either he's God and he's king and he's everything, or he's crazy yeah. and he's nothing when we're talking about Jesus. Yeah, and so much, so easy to do here in the South where going to church is not frowned upon. It's rejoiced in. You know, right. it's like, oh, it's a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's a good church. That's a cool church. There's great people there. You know, it's fun. And and so um, I think we're inoculated to some of that thinking mm-hmm. just because of the role that church and that could be religion could play right. could play in our life. Here's an interesting example that I understand could be somewhat controversial for somebody, but I don't really care. So the, the, one of the things that we saw um, is how common this thinking has seeped in and is not a political orientation or, or a you know, a personality struggle is actually right. a common sickness that we all have. So you take two different kind of, you could say maybe extremes. So you have like the perspective that is LGBTQ plus experience, expression, you know, celebration where, you know, who I am and my sexuality, that's, that's something that I'm supposed to determine and perform and express in the world. And if you're going to actually not be, you know, hateful, then you're going to love and embrace that with me. That's one side of the, 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 the perspective. Right. On the other side, you have someone who's saying, hey, actually, that's, that's horrible, and don't, don't tread on me. Like this whole idea of this is my 
world, my land, my rights, my, my life, yeah. which you could caricaturize, right? Those are extremes in some ways you could say, but as being very different, very much so opposed to one another. But I think if you peel back some of the layers, what you really have is something that's quite in common. Mm. And that is, hey, I decide. Right. Yeah. This is my life, my world, and so get on board. Mm-hmm. And think about that for a second. How easy that is for us to say and hear and think about because we're well, we're American, right? In that part of the deal. But what if that's not true? What if your life's not your own? What if the purpose of your life is not you, and life itself, the good life, doesn't consist of you getting what you want on your terms? Mm-hmm. What if there's more life, more freedom to be found in actually surrendering to a good God and His purposes for His creation? Yeah. So I say that because however that hits you, I don't think that it's unique to certain camps or personalities or even ages. I think it's a common sickness that we've all embraced. Yeah. It does level the playing field. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go back to maybe the gospel is the third way. Maybe it's a different way. And the idea of it being real simple, going back to your what you were expressing earlier, which is just being fully devoted to God, being all in, surrender, mm-hmm. loving God, heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself, all the other commandments wrapped up into those two things. And it's like, if we could just figure out what that looks like, so much of everything else would take care of itself. Yep. So maybe that's the song, right? Yeah. That's the song. Right. Um, but we say that and it becomes very um, familiar, very Christianese. But if we could just stop and think, what does it mean to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind? all my might mm-hmm. and everything that I have and all my, all myself and all my gifts and everything, we would at least have to go through him before we just planted on this idea of I am in a self-created world and it's up to me to mm-hmm. determine my, mm-hmm. my destiny. Yeah. We talked a little bit this summer just about that idea, that question you asked earlier, what does it mean to sing a better song? And we didn't get in a ton of detail about it. I think that's a whole a whole other summer, but um, kind of two thoughts on that. And, and Schofield kept guiding us back to this story, and I think it, it's helpful moving forward because it just it gives a picture of what I think we're going for, and that's just the story of John the Baptist. Um, and as you think about think about significance, dignity, role in the kingdom, I mean, his role was huge. It was very important. He was prophesied you know, centuries before he was born, but as he you know comes into his own, he's living out the call of God. When Jesus arrives. He was fine that his followers left him and went to Jesus, that he understood his role and that his goal was to lose followers. He was drawing them to himself to pass them right along to Jesus when he came and when his public ministry started. Um, You think about, I think, how he's described in John 3 that he took joy in Jesus' success. And I've just loved that wording and trying to think about what is singing a better song. Is it that I can take joy in Jesus' success? And that living a quiet life, that's something else we've been talking about mm-hmm. as well. Whatever that looks like, size, scale, where you live, what you do, who you're interacting with, can my, something I've been thinking about personally as well, can my legacy be lost in the legacy of Jesus so that whatever is remembered of me is not of me, it is that people came to Jesus because they mm-hmm. knew me. And to me, that is singing a better song. I mean, it's not necessarily detailed, it's not prescriptive, but I think we've got to ask, can we take joy in the success of Jesus, even if that doesn't bring credit or mm. um, desire or success to us? Can we take joy in his success? 
And then the other thing I think is just worth considering for us, and it might be just a little bit of a reversal of thinking. Again, it's not prescriptive, but I think we've got to ask when we ask the question, like, are, are we singing a better song? Do our lives actually reflect what we say we believe? If we believe that Jesus offers a life that is abundant, that the spirit is springs of eternal life that are coming out of us, does my life look like that to somebody who is hearing the same song of self-creation that I am? And maybe they haven't decided whether Jesus is the story that they mm. want to believe. He's the, he's the king that they want to follow. Does my life make a case for mm-hmm, him? Mm-hmm. And not that he needs me to prove his truth or his worth, but if I say I believe this, that his presence lives inside me, then have I ever even asked myself, does my life sing the song that he promised? Right. He said, you know, you're going to have a divine presence inside of you that you you get to walk in abundance, you get to walk in freedom. And does my life say that to somebody who might be looking and who might not have decided what song they yeah. want to follow yet? Well, I love that you share the statement, the story about John the Baptist, because the famous statement that he shares is what? He must increase, I must decrease. I mean, that is just such a, a simple... Mm-hmm. But profound statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No doubt. I think that the fact that, like she said, he's filled with joy. I just think we're filled with a lot of things. I don't know if it's joy. And I think a lot of it's because we are trying to live like self-creators. Mm. And we're, we're, you know, reaping the benefits of that choice, right? Reaping the consequences of that. And I'll just say for myself, like learning to turn over the keys to my life to Jesus. And like you said, like, stopping the whole performance for significance and just beginning down that journey. Mm. I would think that would be like a great invitation for all of us. And I do think John's story, you know, and I mean, Jesus' story, right? The one who was enthroned and was entitled to all glory, he emptied himself so that he could invite us into this life with him. And all those core desires we have, he's ready to meet them. Yeah. If we'll stop trying to be him. Yeah. So I think it's it's a journey we're going to have to keep thinking about how it applies, not just to the world, but like to us, mm-hmm. to our church. Yeah. Well, this has been a great interview. I've, I have so many notes here. I mean, the big theme that I've gotten is just like, be suspicious of yourself. I feel like I just need to be suspicious of myself. Sing a better song, live a quiet life, act in truth despite how you feel. I took note of that and then just take joy in Jesus. So, I mean, thank you very much. I feel like this is going to be an episode I'm probably going to hit replay on a couple times. Um, but we're grateful that you joined us um, and we want to thank you for doing that. And before we end, we, we do want to pray together. But like Schofield said earlier, acting on truth is important. So with that being said, listening to a podcast episode, it can be an individual experience, which we believe is only enhanced by talking through it and applying it to life. So, and we believe like this happens to me. Sometimes I listen to a podcast and I don't always talk about it with someone. So we want to encourage you to share this episode with someone, discuss how it applies to you, share any takeaways that they receive, you receive, and approach their feedback with a posture to learn and apply. And I, I think this is a great way for us to move towards this discipleship issue. So if you have questions, you want access to additional resources, be sure to check out our podcast page. We'll have Haley and Schofield's contact information there if you want to connect with them offline. But we're just so grateful for you guys, and we just want to thank you. So, Haley, would you just pray for us, close us out, and then we can wrap this up? Love to. Father, thanks so much for who you are. We just want to worship you and praise you for the God that you are, the truth that you've offered us that's outside of ourselves. And we're just so honored that you 
have wanted to partner with us in your story of redemption. You could have accomplished it on your own, but you invited us to be a part of it, Lord. I pray that we would never take that for granted, and that we would walk in that with zeal and excitement and surrender, knowing that you have given us a place of significance when you didn't even need us. So, Lord, I pray that as we think on these things, as we learn more about the darkness that is specific to our time, Lord, the idea of self-creation and how tempting it sounds, I pray that we would find you to be better, that we would believe what you said, that in your presence is fullness of joy, that we would seek you out, and that we would keep coming back to you even when we don't want to, that when it doesn't feel like you're kind or it doesn't feel like you are loving or that you are attentive to us, Lord, that we would have the faith um, in the eternal eyes to come back to you, to seek you in prayer, to be a part of your church, um, and to ultimately tie ourselves to the mast of of you as our Savior and to your word as our truth, and to sing a better song, one that shows that life abundant really is available and only found in you, and that self-creation won't pay off like we think it will. Lord, I pray you would just give us grace and strength to do that. You know that we're weak and that we're just dust. You made us that way. You know that we're that way, Lord. So we ask you to strengthen us, to keep us tied to you, um, that we would be tethered to you for the rest of our lives, that we've decided to follow you and that we're not going to turn back, um, no matter how difficult it is or how much we want to go another way. So Lord, I just ask you to be as faithful to us in the future as you have been in the past. We know you will. Um, Give us grace to keep seeking you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.